Music for God. We love making music with you guys. Uh, we invite you to be seated. Joe Davis, where art thou? <laughs> where art thou? Are you back? How was your weekend away? It was good, but I heard Brian was really good. Oh. So good. So take good. any time you want to take off, Joe. Go ahead. No big deal. He's really good. Yeah. Just so sick of hearing about it every day. All week. Hey, I'm glad to be back. Love you too. Um, so uh, I'm really excited about, let me tell you why I'm excited about today's message, because I didn't plan, you know, we're just going through the uh, first John. We're just going through first John. I don't have like an Advent series planned, but today is a Advent season Christmas message and I didn't have to fake it. It just comes right out of the text and I love it. So the title of the message today is The Joyful Witness. Um, so question, have you ever... Have you ever desperately wanted, even needed, needed to believe something was true, but you really had no way of knowing for sure? I mean, you hear something, it sounds great, you're fairly certain it's reliable, and you even decide to live as though it is true. But you weren't there so you can't really know for sure, right? And then you hear conflicting stories from others that weren't there. <laughs> but we heard it differently. We heard this. We're not sure it was that. And you hear back and forth. And, and what begins to happen, the joy and the confidence that you had for believing in this story that you not only want to be true, but frankly, inside, you know you need it to be true your confidence and joy is under attack. You begin to have these feelings of insecurity, anxiety. Maybe it wasn't true after all, but I am at this point too vested in it being true. And if it's not, it's going to be devastating. But then somehow someone you know and someone you trust comes in and verifies what you desperately hope for. No, I was there. It is true. And you have this rush of confidence and you experience joy and relief that what you believed and needed to be true is in fact true because you heard it from a firsthand witness. That is when you realize how important an eyewitness can be. So let's look at the passage today. First John chapter five, verses six through 12. We only have one more message in the series next week. This is he who came by the water and the blood, Jesus Christ, not by the water only, but by the water and the blood and the spirit is the one who testifies because the spirit is the truth for there are three that testify the spirit and the water and the blood and these three agree. I have a little asterisk there because I want you to know in some translations, there is an addition that is not really part of the text. Uh, it says that the Father and the Son and the Spirit are also there and testify. And that's not in any manuscripts, but some people put it in. And it's believed that what happened was somebody put it in as a commentary later on and made an addition to this text. So if you ever read in the passage and you see something else, know that it's not untrue. It's just not part of the original word of God. It's not part of the original text. And so understand that if you ever read it in another version, you say, well, this is different than what Pastor Joe is preaching. So I wanted to make sure you know why it's not there. I wanted to share with you that some passages say that, 
but more than likely it was a commentary edition made later by a scribe and not part of the original text. And then we'll go on to verse 9. If we receive the testimony of men, the testimony or witness of God is greater. For this is the testimony of God that he has borne concerning his son. Whoever believes in the son of God has the testimony in himself. Whoever does not believe God has made him a liar because he has not believed in the testimony or the witness that God has borne concerning his son. And this is the witness or the testimony that God gave us eternal life. And this life is in his son. Whoever has the son has life. Whoever does not have the son of God does not have life. So let's look at the history of the passage. So let me try to, I want to try to paint a narrative, a picture of why John is so passionate about this topic and he repeats himself over and over again. This is the witness. This is the testimony. This is the testimony. This is the witness. I'm telling you it's true. Here's why. Remember what the Gnostics were doing. The Gnostics dismissed the idea that Jesus was God. They dismissed the idea of his death as anything more than an object lesson. They certainly dismissed the idea of his physical resurrection, and they dismissed the idea of an immaculate virgin birth, an immaculate conception. They dismissed all of those. They actually taught that this guy, Jesus, was born. The Spirit of God came in to him after he was born and stayed with him throughout his life with the miracles, and then right before he died, the Spirit left. That's what they teach. And his life was merely, this is what the Gnostics would teach, his life is merely an object lesson to take us to a higher plane of understanding, not a work of redemption. That's why the word of many witnesses like the apostles was so important that people that were there would be able to say that. In Luke 1, 1 and 2, Luke says this, Inasmuch as many have undertaken to compile a narrative of the things that have been accomplished among us, just as those who from the beginning were eyewitnesses and ministers of the word have delivered them to us. In other words, what Luke is saying is there are a lot of people who saw it, were there firsthand. A ton of people have testified. We've compiled all their narratives together. This is what the Gospel of Luke says. So you know this isn't just some random fake news feed in Facebook. It is real. But understand, as an apostle, John had experienced Christ's humanity. He walked and talked with Jesus during his earthly ministry. He saw his sovereignty. He saw his death and his resurrection. He walked with Jesus on earth, saw the miracles, heard the sermons. As a matter of fact, the scripture says he was the disciple whom Jesus loved. They had a very close relationship. But what's amazing about John, you're going to love this, John's witness was superior to all the rest of the apostles. Did you know that? Better than Peter, better than James, better than Paul. He was the, in my opinion, the most important apostolic witness of Jesus. And let me explain why. When no other disciple was around, he witnessed Jesus on the cross. All the other apostles ran in fear. He was there, along with Mary, Jesus' mother. He was at the cross. No one else had the guts and the courage. John was there. He witnessed it. No other apostle witnessed the death. He was given the responsibility of caring for Mary, the mother of Jesus, as Jesus is about to die. He says it right here. John 19 It's in the Gospel of John. When Jesus saw his mother and the disciple whom he loved standing nearby, he said to his mother, woman, behold your son. Then he said to the disciple, behold your mother. And from that hour, the disciple took her into his own home. 
for years, John took care of the absolute best, undeniably best firsthand witness of what? The virgin birth. No one had a better perspective on the details and the specifics of Christmas than Mary. And the scripture says that she pondered these things in her heart constantly. She thought about it. You know, for a fact, at least I know if I was John, John wanted to know every last detail. Tell me about it, Mary. What were you thinking when the angel appeared? Were you afraid? How did that feel? Was your heart pounding? What was going on? Were you angry? Were you resentful when everybody in town thought you had cheated on Joseph and you were pregnant with somebody else's baby? How did you feel? Tell me about that. Tell me about the thing when you heard the angel summon say, Herod's going to try to kill Jesus. And God directed you to the manger. Tell me about that. What were you guys feeling? Like, like what, what about Joseph? Joseph at this point is probably not alive anymore. She's a widow. What's, tell me about when Joseph died. Tell me about how Joseph raised God. I mean, was he intimidated? That had to be a pretty wild time, right? And then his brothers are there. Did they ever fight? Tell me what's going on. I want to know. See, because of this, you understand, so John has this special relation with Mary, so he has a secondhand but very close secondhand experience of a ridiculous amount of details about the Immaculate Conception and the virgin birth. He's the only disciple at the cross. He's there with Jesus during his life, and then we have the resurrection, which he also is a witness to. He was an especially reliable, competent beloved, trustworthy eyewitness that demanded respect and affection and admiration. He had amazing, powerful, first-hand knowledge that the brilliant Gnostics who were convinced they had the truth didn't have. They weren't there, but they so know who Jesus really was, right? They never met the man. Nobody knew Jesus better than John. It's possible now, don't, don't be mad at me when I it's possible that John knew Jesus better than Mary. I mean, he was with Jesus a lot. You can now understand why John was so unbelievably passionate about Christ, about his gospel that the, that the Gnostics were trying to deny and destroy. He was respected and beloved. And remember the theme of 1 John was so that I'm write this, we write this so that your joy may be complete, your joy may be full. It's kind of like I remember I was, you know, with President uh, Bush's funeral, uh, there were some stories that came out. And one of them was there was a time where, where Barbara Bush and George Bush were arguing about whether Jesus was the only way. And they were just debating it. And she said, there's only one way to settle this. Get me Billy Graham on the phone. <laughs> And they both agreed Billy Graham would be a reliable witness to whether or not Jesus was the only way. That's a great story, right? They knew who they needed to talk with. I imagine it was that a thousand times over with these churches in Asia Minor and John the Elder. So let's talk about the spiritual. What is the passage saying? What is God saying to us? It's saying God with us, Emmanuel. I've taught you guys this word before. It's the Greek word theanthropos. You can see the word theos, God, anthropology, anthropos, man. Jesus was the God-man, theanthropos, the God-man. Through direct, 
first-hand experience, John reinforces who Jesus really was with three historic data points that only he and Mary witnessed. All together. The water, the blood, and the spirit. Now, there are some differing views on what the water and the blood and the spirit refers to, but considering our historical application and what else we've learned throughout the Gospel of John, that he is protecting the picture of who Christ is as God and man and the resurrection, it's very clear John is a defense of the Gospel. I think we can have pretty good confidence as your pastor today to teach you that the water, the blood, and the spirit mean the following. The water is the birth of Jesus. John wasn't there. None of the apostles were there, but Mary was. And John and Mary lived together. And he watching over Joseph's widow. Jesus' mother. Because you understand, without the full humanity of Christ, he can't be our savior. This is my obligatory Advent theme right here, okay? So don't report me that I didn't preach an Easter or Christmas sermon, right? You got Emmanuel, so there we go, okay? We're good? (laughs) Matter of fact, uh, John quotes Jesus in John 3, 5. Truly I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. So the water is the birth. There are three things that bear witness to who Jesus is. John says, one is the water. He was a man. Then there's the blood. I believe that to be the suffering and death of Jesus. And John was the only apostolic witness to his death. How he died, when, where, how horrible the suffering was, what words Jesus spoke on the cross, all are crucial details to know that, yes, he definitely died. And it's important, right, because Hebrews 9.22 says, without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sin. So you cannot be born of God unless you believe that he was born of the water and the blood and the spirit, which is our next point. I believe the spirit is the miraculous power of Jesus. The spirit is the means, I wrote this down so I wouldn't forget it. The spirit is the means by which Christ had both power over death And how he, the spirit, indwells us and transforms us and sanctifies us. I mean, Jesus worked miracles. Clearly, we know he was God because of the command he had over creation. But the greatest example of him having power and being God and being a spirit, because the scripture says God is a spirit, is the fact that he could conquer the grave, something also John was an eyewitness to. In 1 Corinthians chapter 15, 45 and 46, Paul says, Thus it is written, the first man became Adam, or the first man Adam became a living being. The last Adam became a life-giving spirit. But it is not the spiritual that is first, but the natural, then the spiritual. You see, he could not be just a spirit like the Gnostics teach. He had to be a man. And then Romans 8, 9, you, however, are not in the flesh, but in the spirit. That's how he indwells us. If, in fact, the spirit of God dwells in you, anyone who does not have the spirit of Christ does not belong to him. He combines, Paul does in this verse, the spirit of God and the spirit of Christ. They are the same. 
Jesus, born of water, dying of blood, and then born of the Spirit. See, all this tells us this, team. Ready? He wasn't just an influential, political, spiritual figure. Living as an object lesson for morality and spirituality. He wasn't the Dalai Lama. He was God himself, born of a virgin, living as a man, dying as a man, and resurrected as a God, the God. Because the penalty for sinfulness is death. Jesus had to be fully man so that he would be able to die in our place. Only God himself could rescue us from sin, and only a man could earn back what the first man, Adam, had lost. And that's why John tells us in John chapter 1, verse 14 of his gospel, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory, witnessed it. Glory as of the only son from the father, full of grace and truth. Isn't that a great summary? John was a witness to all of it. How lucky were those churches to have that guy? Oh, you got doubts? You think the Gnostics are so smart? Let me tell you some details. I was there. He provides a detailed, reliable witness to get this now. It gives you a three-pronged historical arsenal of hope and peace and joy against witnesses that weren't there. Had no way of knowing, but were so certain they were so smart and knew better. Who would you have, would have, would have believed if you were back then? The Gnostics or John? See, this witness affirms our Savior as fully man and fully God. Okay, let's talk about the personal, how a witness brings joy. Some of this will be very hard for me to get through, but I think it's important for you to hear. So uh, this was our social media campaign this week. By the way, you guys are doing much better on that. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> a lot of shares, a lot of likes. Makes my week. All right, so it's the divine humanity of Christ's birth and death coupled with his sovereign deity and resurrection that makes Christmas joyful. Each historical data point that John was a witness to is crucial to understanding the full joy that Christmas and, frankly, Easter can bring. It must all be processed and believed as one Story, one narrative, not two different holidays marking two different types of decorations. It's Chris Easter. <laughs> I should start doing some Chris Easter decorations. That's a whole new market plan right there. So. so you guys remember my definition of joy for you over the last couple of years, the supernatural satisfaction with the presence of God over anything else? See, it's easy to have joy when things are going well, but when your life is crushed, that's when the supernatural satisfaction with God's presence come in. See, John had no idea when he wrote this to the churches in Asia Minor. He had no idea that as he was writing this, he would become your, our joyful witness. The ability to believe this three-pronged historical testimony about Theanthropos from John brings that joy that we're talking about. 
Think of the relief when you, as a person, finally trust God and the story that he sent his son so that you might live. Think of the relief when those believers in Asia Minor heard the joyful witness who was there confirm, listen guys, I know. I was there. I saw it. I've been talking to Mary for 20 years. They weren't there. I was. She was. Here are the details. Christmas, the ministry of Jesus, Easter, it is all real. This is the story that John was a witness for them. And now today is a first-hand witness for us. And we write these things so that your joy may be full. To illustrate this type of joy that we should have, I'm going to try to give you something that gives you a little bit of the depth of the emotion they probably felt when the first-hand witness brought them the comfort of his information and knowledge and facts. So there's a friend of ours that Laura and I have. Her name is Connie. It's actually Nehemiah's mom. She is as trustworthy a, wit a witness that you could ever imagine for us. And she relayed some evidence to us one day that made our joy so full. So... It's a story about Sarah. So Sarah wanted to go to a high school girls small group, but she was one year behind her best friend, Michelle. So Connie, being a person who would never rebel, snuck her in. <laughs> Michelle was going, so Sarah wanted to go, so Sarah was there. And they were talking about the gospel that week, as only Connie could. So the next day, I think the story goes that Sarah might have not been in school. I'm not sure. She calls Connie in the middle of the day in tears. She could hardly speak because she's crying. And Connie says, what's wrong? And Sarah can't answer. She's just crying. She goes, just say yes or no. Is it parents? <laughs> Sarah says, no. Is it a boyfriend? Sarah says, no. And Connie says, it's the Holy Spirit, isn't it? And Sarah says, yes. It's all she could say was no, no, and yes. Connie says, do you want me to come over? Yes, but don't come in the house. Meet me in the car. <laughs> Connie tells me the story about how she talked and prayed with Sarah in that car. Connie began to teach Sarah about how Jesus, God, and the Holy Spirit, three more witnesses, work in our hearts all at the same time to bring us to the point of the gift of faith in life. And Connie tells me the story and tells us a story about how that day she led our daughter Sarah to Jesus and it was real. And Sarah says, don't tell my parents. They already think I'm a Christian. <laughs> <laughs> and Connie says, Connie tells me, she goes, Joe, I kept that secret until the day she met Jesus. But I thought it'd be good to tell you. How would I have known? I thought it was true. I had seen evidence and I was pretty certain Sarah was a believer and we'd had discussions. But, you know, you just don't know for sure. Unless someone was there. And when she told me that story, I hung on every detail. Tell me more. What happened? Where? What, I wanted to know everything. Just like the disciples Wanted to hear from Mary. 
and John. And then the churches in Asia Minor want to hear the details. Look, I know this is heavy. But real Christmas isn't tinsel and toys. That crap doesn't bring joy. It's about the story that John was passionately defending and wanted to make sure the truth was known because he was an eyewitness. It is the verified story about Jesus and his birth and his death and his resurrection and how ridiculously wrong the Gnostics were. Can you see how an eyewitness can bring joy? Can you imagine how Laura and I felt when we learned that story? It might have been the moment we started to maybe started to heal a little bit. Today, as you hear, rejoice that God has given us a joyful, powerful witness to the greatest story ever told. Dad, we're so thankful that you've given us a joyful, powerful witness. Three undeniable historical data points that make up this theology of Theanthropos that makes you, Jesus, our Savior by water, by blood, and by the Spirit. Thank you so much that we, even in the midst of our anxiety, we want it to be true, we hope it's true, we think it's true, and you send John that says, no, I lived with Mary, I was at the cross, I met the resurrected Jesus, trust me, it's true. Amen. Amen. Amen, Amen brother.